If you're suffering from a serious health challenge or just want to protect your good health, I want to tell you about Metatrol Fermented Wheat Germ Extract from American Biosciences. Imagine every cell in your body working at peak performance, achieving enhanced energy, quality of life, and optimal immune system performance. More than 50 research articles in peer-reviewed medical journals describe fermented wheat germ extracts remarkable health benefits in a wide range of serious health challenges. Metatrol is the most potent fermented wheat germ extract ever produced, and it's it's the only one that's gluten-free. Just two Metatrol capsules daily supports your immune system, cellular health, and energy production. Rescue your mitochondrial function and optimize your energy with Metatrol fermented wheat germ extract. For more information and to order, go to theharmonycompany.com. That's theharmonycompany.com. Or call 800-422-5518. 800-422-5518. Use coupon code HOFFMAN20 at checkout and get a 20% first-time discount and free shipping. That's theharmonycompany.com. Welcome to Layla Ways In here on the Intelligent Medicine Podcast. Thank you for joining me. Hey, have you subscribed to the Intelligent Medicine Newsletter? It's very easy to do so. Go to drhoffman.com. Click on subscribe. You just enter your email. Comes out once a week, typically on Wednesdays. And you may unsubscribe at any time. We don't use your email for any other reason. You get great information. And you could also go to read those articles, download these podcasts. As you know, if you're listening to this, go to drhoffman.com. It's a wealth of information. Last week, in part one, I talked about this beautiful article in The, Guard- in the Guardian by Alice Fowler called Ditch Your Spade, Forget Fertilizer, Listen to the Weeds, Alice Fowler's Guide to Laid-Back Gardening. We talked about how, in the article, talks about how we battle nature to make it comply. We rid the soil of pests that are taking down flower beds or causing our vegetables not to grow or cause them to rot or be infested or some other thing that may be going on. But we're approaching this in the, in the wrong way, apparently. So much of what we have been thought, what we have been taught and what we think, <clears throat> if not wrong, is not exactly on the mark. All this weeding, fertilizing, digging, tending, pruning, selecting and conforming, it's not working. And this is evidenced by industrial farming. We're losing tons upon tons, several million tons of soil each year. We're losing earth. And it's a travesty what's going on. And that's why the regenerative farming movement is becoming so, so popular. And there are more and more regenerative farms that are cropping up all over the world, pun intended, pun intended, cropping up all over the world and, and in the United States. And you could do this in your own garden. 
indigenous cultures everywhere, they base their practices on observing and honoring the ecology while we in the developed world, we wrote down our rules. And just to reiterate from last week, our attempt to control nature has perpetuated poor relations with all the beings in the garden, turning everything into some sort of battle or endless regimes, whether that's mowing, hoeing, watering, or attacking some critter. So we need to listen to the weeds. We need to observe. We need to do all of that. The more we disturb the soil, forking it over, digging things up, the more light that we let in, the more the soil has to rush to protect itself because it flushes its weed seed bank as a protective coat to hold the system together. So even in England at the Chelsea Flower Show, they are rebranding weeds as, quote, hero plants, end quote. Perhaps we can talk of them, says Alice Fowler, as common folk or elders. They've been around a lot longer than us because every weed in our garden is trying to tell us something very important, right? So, and the more that one type dominates, the louder that sermon is. Just a little brief review. Dandelions are saying your soil is a little compact, low on surface nutrients, particularly calcium and potassium. Nettles tell us there's too much surface nitrogen. A flurry of annual weeds, bittercress, chickweed, mouseweeds, say the soil is dominated by bacteria. Thistles, docks, green alkanets, and comfrey are another sign that the surface is a little low on nutrients, and only those with long taproots to mine the subsoil layer can thrive. Brambles tend to proliferate where there's excessive nitrogen, but the land has been left alone so they could take better hold. So once we start looking into the ecology of anything that we flippantly call a weed, we discover that it is key in recycling nutrients, providing food in the form of nectar and pollen for all manner of insects in all manner of weather. And not just for the pollinators, but also good for things such as leaf miners that turn into micromoths and flies that turn into food for hungry mouths reaching out of the nest, which turn into food for raptors flying high above. It is all a beautiful ecosystem. So we have to embrace rot and death. As I talked about last week, the mushrooms, the rot on that dead tree came out to help that tree decompose. It is nature's wisdom that brought that about. So that decomposition process can come along so that it can decompose back into the soil where it came from originally. So the story is played out over and over again. If one thing proliferates in a natural system, something else, sometimes many things will come to dine on this opportunity. And this is what restores the balance. A garden, when your garden is allowed to find this balance, it doesn't have a pest or a disease problems. 
It has beings that are thriving, living and dying, but this is all part of the ego ecosystem. Rotting disease pests are just the earth's recycling system. We have to trust it. And plants have been around far longer than we've been gardening with plenty of time to work on the nuances of reciprocity. I talked about composting as well. And another thing that Alice Fowler says to encourage plant promiscuity. Finally, she says, let us embrace the diverse, the slightly different, the variable in our flowers and foods. For millennia, we've been selecting and breeding plants so that they benefit us. That is the origin of our story, right? But for the longest time, this was a laid back process of letting the pollinators go to work, saving seed, growing on, and noticing what worked best for the conditions where we were. It is known technically as creating a land race, an ancient cultivar that is variable, often containing many alleles, which are forms of genes that are not present in modern highly bred cultivars. Land race gardening is the opposite, akin to a plant orgy. You let all your carrot varieties or whatever it is you're growing cross-pollinate with each other to create a diverse breeding population. It's a survival strategy that diversifies the gene pool, making it better future-proofed than something highly bred. And I want to compare that, make the analogy to our own internal garden, our own landscape, which is in our gut called the microbiome. We want a diversity of microbes. How do we get that? By eating a variety of plants, by eating a variety of foods. So coming back to this, the result is a beetroot or a bean or flower that is not uniform. As the different alleles, these different genes play out their expression. So a land race varies in color, size, texture, and even flavor. Anyone can become a land race gardener. It's a fun five-year-plus experiment. It takes very little effort and will reward you with vegetables and flowers that work entirely for your system of growing your soil. We want the health of the soil. If we don't have healthy soil, we don't have this beautiful vegetation. So don't want to spend all summer watering excessively. Can I remind you of how hot summer can get, says Alice? Breed a leafy green that doesn't need it. Do you have poor soil? Breed a potato that loves it. Do you want a potato that tastes of something? but doesn't mind a late frost, it's all possible. And by the way, speaking of tomatoes, I feel like I've pretty much given up. I don't think I've tasted a wonderful tomato since the 1970s. 
where all you needed was a little shaker of salt and you eat it like an apple. And that was it. Anyway, but I digress. So Alice says, so all the name varieties that have the characteristics you want, grow them and with the help of bees, promote promiscuity and let them cross-pollinate. Select and save seed from only the ones that do well in your soil. So again, you have to sit back and observe this and select and then save the seed from the ones that are doing well. Start again next spring sowing that seed that you saved. Up to half of it might not survive, but you'll have oodles of seed, so it doesn't matter. Let the pollinators at the new plants. Select seeds from the ones that are working, and you keep going. In a couple of seasons, you can have garlic that is entirely adapted to your particular soil. It might take a few more years to find that perfect pumpkin or tomato. We don't know where we are heading as far as our future on this planet is concerned. But we might as well go there prepared with a wide gene pool in relation to our common folk plants and their communities in awe of our insects, fascinated by our fungal friends with our soils and our energy replenished. And like any friendship group that is best done by hanging out, kicking back and enjoying each other's company. Think of it, you know, how come some fungus we hate and others we love and even take as supplements like mushrooms, right? AHCC, reishi, cordyceps, all of those. Think about it. Think about how we use this fungal matter. So Alice says, in all of this, I'm not advocating giving up on gardening, but shifting the perspective on what actually needs doing. If the dandelion, dock, or bramble isn't in the way, leave it alone. If the plant goes down in an orgy of aphids, leave it for for some other garden being to come and clear it up. Let plants die in place. Learn to watch and observe before you make a move. You'll see that nature is way more willing to help than cause trouble. This is so true. And again, making the analogy again to our internal microbiome, our microbiota, Dr. Dr. Thomas Cowan said it beautifully. He regards our GI tract, our microbiome, as a meadow with many different species. Just like in this gardening article in The Guardian here by Alice Fowler. And he says, we, it's, it's all the various diverse plants, microbiome. We want to feed that. And Dr. Thomas Cowan, he himself says that 
he tries to keep, and he keeps a log apparently, and this is interesting. I, I might start doing this myself. He keeps a log of how many different vegetables and fruit, produce, all of that stuff that he eats in a month. And he tries to strive for 50 or 60 different varieties in a month. That's a lot. But he's also got a big garden. And I'll tell you what, this is something I'm thinking I want to aspire to in my own garden. Again, I'm, I'm a student, I'm learning, but I'm seeing the common flaws of gardeners who are trying to whip their gardens into shape, to make it bend and do their will of their flower beds or the vegetation. I've seen it in my own vegetable garden. I've seen my own, my husband toil with, wow, that plant didn't do well. I wonder what happened. Knock it down, till it again, etc., etc. And I'm rethinking all of this now. I'm really, really rethinking. Yeah, it's not going to get the, uh, the, the, the fast turnover. You know, you want to grow your zucchini this season. You may not want to wait for that garlic three years from now or that asparagus three years from now. But we kind of need to let nature take its course so that we have less disease, so that we have less pests. Because nature always comes back to homeostasis, to equilibrium. For every disease, there is a pests that will come along and clean it or some kind of fungal matter or bacteria that will come to replenish to turn it over. The soil knows what to do. It, it knows which side is up, right? We need to let nature take its course that way. Think about a forest, how beautiful a forest is. That didn't happen with human intervention, except maybe for fires and things that didn't happen naturally. Think about all of that. So this is really what I'm talking about. Rethink your garden and certainly stay away from the weed killers. You don't need a manicured lawn, a lawn that looks like a carpet. We have to rethink what a beautiful lawn looks like. I love to see wildflowers. I love to see weeds. I love to see a lot of clover because it feels like carpeting under my feet, under my bare feet. One of the first things I can't wait to do out in the country is get into my bare feet with that native electromagnetic radiation from the earth, which is healthy, which is good for us, right? When we get back into nature, all of that. Now, when you think of your garden, and again, I'm, I'm again making this analogy to our microbiome. You got to think the next time you take an antibiotic, you know, that's analogous to taking weed killer. Think about that. Are you really going to go and insist on a Z-pack from your doctor in winter because you have a cold? It's not going to help your cold. Antibiotics are meant for bacteria. And listen, don't just willy-nilly take antibiotics. Take them certainly for a serious condition. Follow your doctor's instructions. But think about it. We are weeding our microbiome, not in a good way, because it's also getting rid of the good stuff. And that's why we have in our internal garden things like a candida overgrowth, things opportunistic, things that take over that shouldn't be there, that then negatively impacts our health. It all makes sense. Think of this analogy. When you think of your microbiome, as many of you do, think about your garden in the same way. 
And think about the diversity. You want that same kind of microbiota diversity in your gut as you do in your garden. Indigenous uh, populations, they knew how to grow certain plants together like zucchini and and beans. And there was a third one. It might have been zucchini, beans, and corn kind of together because it helps them protect each other and better for the pollinators, better against the pests, all of that kind of thing. But without destruction to soil, without doing all of that, it's a watch and observe kind of thing. This is really, really important. And this article really resonated with me, and that's why I wanted to bring it to you, because it's different ways of thinking, not just about the the ecology in your garden, the environment, planet Earth, Earth, Mother Earth, but your internal ecology. I want to thank you for joining me on another edition of Layla Ways In here on Intelligent Medicine. This is Layla Mutin, RD. I see patients regularly along with Dr. Hoffman. If you require a nutrition consult with me but live out of town, there's no need to travel to New York City. I have telephone consultations with clients from all over the country. Please visit drhoffman.com for more information. And to set up an appointment, call 212-779-1744. That's 212-779-1744. I look forward to being a collaborator in your health care.